You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, David James Young here, back for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Thank you as always for tuning in and checking this out. Massively appreciated. This week's guest is Hachiku. Hachiku was, brief tour, born in America, moved to Germany with her uh, native German family, uh, then moved to London, started her music career there, then moved to Melbourne, moved back to London, and then back to Australia, which is where she has lived for the past five years now, I think. She has been making charming, quirky, and quintessential indie pop for the last few years, and that has culminated in her debut studio album, which finally came out last year, entitled I'll Probably Be Asleep. She did a national tour last month. I was fortunate enough to open up one of the shows at uh, Frank's Wild Years in Thoreau, and was lucky enough to head along as a punter to her show at the Petersham Bowling Club the day after. And we recorded this downstairs at the Petersham Bolo just before her band played with Hacky Sack and the delightful Ms. Emma Davis. It was a fantastic night, made even better by getting to go a little bit deeper with Annika, who had known tangentially for a couple of years, but had never quite had the moment to go through the motions of where she came from, how she came to be here, uh, what led her to make this sort of music, etc., etc. So we get into all of that, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. want to give a big thank you to Annika and her whole crew Shout out to Marcel, shout out to Simon, Georgia, and Jesse. Big thank you to Paul McQuirter for editing this one as well. Love your work, legend. And thanks to you for listening. Won't keep you too much longer. Just a quick reminder that this podcast is made possible with the help and the support of people just like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Five stars would be absolutely legendary. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Tell a friend about it if you have friends that are into some of the bands and artists that we have had on this podcast. Let them know about it. Keep the keep the passion going, you know, like uh that's that's one of the top ways that people have told me that they found out about this podcast and uh that's super super cool and super appreciated. And if you are interested in going the distance and keeping the lights on over here at DJYHQ, please consider supporting me on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you gain access to a bunch of bonus content, 
features, playlists, and a myriad of other things, uh, bits and bobs from my time as a writer, as a podcaster, and as a musician. You will get access to all of that sort of stuff. So, if that is of interest, please head over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash David James Young. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, barbandspod at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. You can also head over to Instagram where you can follow the Not For Print Podcast Network, which, of course, all my friends are in barbands is a part of. That's Not For Print Pods. On Instagram, and you can also follow me on Instagram at DJY Writes. W R I T E S. All right. Uh, I'm about to go prepare for my first festival in well over a year now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, yeah, we are headed into the Yours and Owls weekend at long last. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit different, but uh, very, very excited that that is happening all the same. Uh, just a heads up there, will unfortunately not be a live uh, from Yours and Owls Festival episode this year. That's normally what we do, but uh, just due to certain restrictions uh, and certain capacities and stuff like that, we were just unable to make that happen. But uh, we will have a chat with one of the acts appearing at the festival this weekend. More on that very, very soon. But in the meantime, let's cross now to our chat with Hachiku. everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend Hachiku. Hello there, how are you? Thanks for having me. That is an absolute pleasure, thanks for being had. It is Friday evening, we are downstairs at the Peterson Bowling Club in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia and Hachiku is legally allowed back in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah we were a little bit worried like with that one COVID case last yeah. week but... Bit touch here and we go. are, here we are. Yeah, you and did the it. flats as well. That oh, was, yeah, of course. You, you yeah. literally turned up like the day after everything kind of cleared up. Yeah, I'm glad. They look very scary. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Very saliently moved back in. Like, like nothing's changed. It's uh, finally getting to do a uh, long-awaited album launch tour for the record that came out, what, six months ago? <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Better late than never, right? Yeah, exactly. I feel like we're going to probably overseas be touring this album in like three years yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. doing the anniversary like tour <laughs> our tw- 2024 three-year belated german album launch tour oh uh, yeah if you're listening to this in 2024 and you're about to go see that show yeah. your mind is officially blown <laughs> <laughs> how have yep. the show's been going so far uh, so much fun yeah we've i feel like speaking of european tours um, I guess I'm from Germany, but I've definitely toured overseas way more than I have in Australia. I feel like the last few Australian shows we've done were maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's always been Melbourne or Castle Maine. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's fun just actually playing. We're playing lots of smaller regional shows, which everyone's super lovely. Lots of free drinks, hotel accommodation provided at the pub. Yes, indeed. What else could you want? <laughs> Absolutely. So we met for the first time about three and a half years ago at a Milk Records Christmas party at the Northcote Social Club. How did you get involved with the Milk Crew? Like, uh, was was that just a kind of chance encounter? Like, uh, how did you meet up with that lot originally? That happened, when was I here first? Like 2015, I was doing an exchange for uni to Melbourne from the UK where I was studying at that time. Right. And I think Courtney was sort of starting to be a little bit bigger overseas. Mm. Um, and I had heard of Milk Records before. Yeah, yeah. And when I was doing exchange here, they were doing this, um, one of their, like a gig, like what where we met, where it's like a label um, show type yeah. thing where everyone plays. And I went to that because I had heard of them a little bit before. I was like, they're so cool. All these people and friends playing music together. Yeah. And at that time, music, and doing music was still like a very distant dream. I was yeah, yeah, studying yeah. biology. And I think I sent them an email. I was like, if you want someone to help out at any point, I'd be happy to make coffee, even though I don't know how to make coffee or <laughs> I don't know if you have an office or anything. So yeah, started volunteering, I guess you'd say. And then over time, that turned into, I'm now doing the online store. I guess also releasing music. Yeah, it's all connected. It's a beautiful thing. You love to see it. And I'm not sure if you were pulling double duty that those two nights, because I think you played with your band, and I think you might have also played guitar with a friend of the show, Fraser A. Gorman, as well. Yeah, that's right, back in the days when I was playing in his band. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hardly remember that show, but that's true. That was the first Merc show. Was that at Northcote Social Club, yeah, it wasn't was, it? was, yeah. It was two nights at Northcote Social. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that was... There were... Very fresh for us as a band to play as well for Hachiko Band. Yeah. I think Simon, oh, was he already playing with us? Or? I, yeah, I think, I think was, Simon had just started playing with you at that yeah, point. Yeah, he was very fresh. But yeah. I think we all tried to dress up as snowflakes. Or was that the <laughs> I think next? that was the year after, yeah. Oh, that might have been the year after. <laughs> it was like Christmas themed. Yeah. It's so, like it's classic small world, but when I found out Simon was playing in your band, it was such a trip because I'd been going to see Simon's old band, his his Brisbane Scrams band to the north. I used to go see them all the time when they'd come through in Sydney and Wollongong and stuff like that. Yeah, and you mentioned that. The yeah, other. so like seeing him playing A in Melbourne and B is such a completely different style of music yeah. to what to the north was is was such a surreal experience. Yeah, I've never seen Simon play in his other bands. I'd be he always talks about his wild punk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, when he threw his back out the last time, he yeah, tried yeah, so bad. Like I think he had a bit of a break and was just playing with us. And I guess our music is quite gentle, not yeah, it's, heavy. It's much much so, easier on him for yeah, sure. And he played this one show and it was like. One day later, I couldn't walk for three months. Oh, God. Yeah, bad. <laughs> so rough. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed from being something that you were watching on TV, listening to on the radio, that sort of thing, to uh, kind of clicking over into a moment where it's just like, this is what I want to do. I want to sing. I want to play guitar. I want to be in a band, all that sort of stuff. Can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing and if there was any kind of moment for you where 
you know, it became apparent that music would be something that you wanted to pursue? I guess, yeah, both my parents are um, hobby musicians, but right. my father in particular, quite a determined hobby musician. I think it was always his very, um, like, secretive dream of lots of his high school friends. They ended up being professional musicians. Oh, true. And he followed in his father's footsteps of working for Ford and becoming an engineer. Right, yeah. And putting guitar aside. But yeah, he's a really great guitarist, one of the best I know. And then my mother... I guess growing up I was always she would always be singing and like practicing her opera and I'd always be like shut up <laughs> but now looking back I'm like that's so mean <laughs> just telling your parent to be quiet when they're just having fun um so yeah they always encouraged me I like started playing classical guitar when I was really young and I hated it I stopped that pretty quickly yeah right um, then started playing keyboard and then really didn't like my teacher and he was always late to my lessons so I was like don't want to go there anymore and right. then i went to a church choir actually and my church choir teacher was also my piano teacher and i did that for four or five years so lots of hallelujah yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah but it definitely i think you asked what time i first thought i wanted to do music as a career or not career but more yeah. seriously this sounds really lame, but the German equivalent to... It's called Deutschland sucht den Superstar, which is like American Idol, but in Germany. Oh, right. And I was watching those when I was eight. And I think the entry minimum entry um, age was 16 years. And I was like, once I'm 16, I'm going to enter that competition and I'm going to sing my cover of something, something. <laughs> oh, you don't remember what you wanted to sing? <laughs> no, it's something very like killer pills so they were this german band like german three 13 year olds playing oh, punk true. rock that sounds <laughs> no, sick. No, do, do you know tokyo hotel i do know tokyo <laughs> yeah. hotel yeah i did not like them they were like the antidote to tokyo hotel oh okay like, yeah right no we're not tokyo hotel fans um but i obviously never entered but by the time i was 16 i realized how much that wasn't my <laughs> sort of thing to do yeah <laughs> but i think until quite late i mean i went to study biology and only halfway through that realized that music is what i wanted to do but yeah. i think because everyone around me was more like music is a hobby right um, yeah it never really occurred to me that it doesn't have to be a hobby yeah sure mm. i would say don't count out like the quite sensitive types on singing competitions I'm sure you know this connection. Yeah. 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 So your bass, your bass player also plays for Lisa oh, Mitchell. That's right. Uh, yeah. Australian <laughs> Idol finalist. Yeah. I see. So yeah, I have met Lisa many times now, and I've obviously not grown up around Australian idols. I've never seen her on it. You know, I yeah, only yeah, yeah. know her as like Jesse's friend Lisa. Yeah, <laughs> that sure. Plays in the band with. <laughs> and I like it's so when you don't know the context, and someone's like, like. Oh my god, she used to be on the yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, You're just oh, like, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereabouts did you grow up? Well, I was born in the US, but grew up in Germany near Cologne, like a small village near Cologne okay. for most of my life. I can't imagine there would have been much of a local music scene or a community or anything like that. Like, were you no. going out to shows? Or? Um, actually, Cologne is really good for... It's a big stopover for international touring bands. So, it's really accessible and lots of festivals if you want to see, like, the Arctic Monkeys yeah, or sure. Fighters. Like, yeah. everyone will stop in Cologne. So, I did go to a lot of shows... 
but it was never so much like in Melbourne. It's so much you go see a friend play, and they might even play at the corner or the forum, like really big venues. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was to go see my friends play, it would be at a cafe in front of three people, yeah. type thing. So, but that's me having quite an isolated musical experience. I think, like, I did play in my mother's band, which was a Ford IT cover band. My whole family is a Ford family, and we were playing like cover songs of. They would rewrite all the lyrics to fit Ford. <laughs> so it was like, instead of, dream a little dream of me, it would be, dream a dream of Ford IT. <laughs> and all that stuff, which I was playing bass in that band. Yeah, any sort of band experience teaches you how to become a better musician. For but sure, it was yeah. <laughs> definitely the most random thing I've <laughs> played That's in. very cute, though. Yeah. I love that. Was, was that the first time you played live? One of the first few times I've played uh, this other very this project where you kind of don't want anyone to find out about was with my other friend we were called Grand Petit because he was really tall and I was really small (laughs) and we were playing Regina Spector or Red Hot Chili Peppers covers in like (laughs) okay Regina I get but the Chili Peppers (laughs) I did not see coming yeah it was like the more gentle songs. Oh, the, okay. Like the ballads. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what the songs... Um, oh, Ze- Zephyr song? A Zephyr song, yeah, 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 yeah. That one's a bit more like... like slow, yeah, a bit more it? mellow, yeah. yeah. We did like these um, soft pop covers of them. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and then I changed my name from Grand Petit because he was telling I was small to Annie Petit, which is so lame. It makes me cringe <laughs> every time I even think about it. Oh, no. Um, Sorry for... Bringing out the skeletons out no, I mean, of your closet. I wouldn't have to tell you, would I? Yeah. <laughs> on me anyway. But yeah, I did that for a few years before I changed the name. Because I don't think it would have gotten anywhere with that name. <laughs> well, not with that attitude, obviously. No, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, I know. So, uh, what other kind of bands and projects and stuff are you doing before Hachiku kind of starts? That was it, really. Like, while studying biology, it was still very... I mean, I started interning at Merck, but I actually had to go back for a year to the UK to finish my degree. Right. Um, And back in the UK, I was back to being quiet, like, in my room. Like, I had friends, but it would be, like, hiking friends or soccer friends. Right, yeah. Like, music friends. So, it would still be, like, me in my room on my phone recording little demos here and there with the idea of I'll go back to Melbourne next year and then I'm going to start doing music. It's all very like in my head, big ideas of things I would do yeah, <laughs> upon right. my return. So you didn't have any bands while you are in the UK? No, I mean, with one of my friends in one of the uni Facebook groups, she was like, we're a three-piece folk trio looking for someone to join us. And I sometimes would jam with her a little bit. I think I played maybe like one small gig. That was like, like putting my feet in the water. What do you say? Is that a thing? Dipping your toes in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I always, for some reason, I was really drawn to Melbourne. And I was always like, my biology life in the UK, once that's finished, then I'll go back to Melbourne and start my proper thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you find like when you came back to Melbourne, like was it kind of a very encouraging group of people that were, you know, we like showing songs to people and they were just like, yeah, go for it. What was pretty cool, I guess, my involvement with Merck from right from the start mm. was um, that Sholaki 
Oh, Jen Sherlock is his, her name. She plays drums in Jen Clower's band. Yes, indeed. While I was in the UK still, she had seen me live in Melbourne for like a small show I did at the Old Bar. And they were doing this project with Bedroom Suck Records where they wanted to put out a few seven-inch, split seven-inches with artists they really liked but that they couldn't necessarily put out because they didn't have the resources so right. just before I came back she emailed me and was like hey do you want to be part of the 7 inch project which was like I was so excited about that because wow. I was like oh cool like my first I'm not even back in Melbourne yet and I could maybe do this Yeah, um, I remember actually on my way here um, I was just sitting I was taking the Trans-Siberian railway with my father to get from Germany to Melbourne and I was sitting right. at a train station in Russia and Sherlocky messaged me and was like oh by the way could you please send us your bio by tomorrow and I was like what what's a bio I don't have a bio what do you mean I don't even I've never done anything and I got I was sitting there and I was so stressed like I have to write 150 words about myself and I had the worst headache afterwards because I had like 10 minutes before the train was leaving and I had to write it so quickly. Oh my God. And then turned out the whole project was postponed for nine months anyway. Oh. <laughs> it was like waiting God, for other typical. people to probably write their bios. Oh, but <laughs> I remember taking it all very seriously and being like, this is my big chance. Um, oh, <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. So Melbourne was the first place you you played solo? You were playing your own songs? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did... Under my old name, Ani Petit, which I should erase, uh, I did do a few... You can't Google it, can you? <laughs> yeah, you can. Oh, you can. no. <laughs> oh, I, definitely, I definitely stopped paying for the website subscription a okay, while ago. Okay, so there's that, yeah. There is Bandcamp still. <laughs> uh, Actually, yeah. my father would be happy to plug this because I did do a CD under that name like um, when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And I think he still has... We were like, let's do some CDs for like people that might want to buy it. And the price drop between doing 500 or 1,000 or 200 was immense. So we were like, we might as well do 1,000 rather than 200. Like oh those paper sleeves. So we made 1,000 copies of this <gasps> CD. And oh, my God. I think so far I've sold 190. So there's still <laughs> 800 lying around my father's like basement. Perfect. And he was like... You know, I can get a sticker and we can change the Anipiti to Hachiku. I was like, sure. <laughs> he he doesn't like. I think I'm living he like he's living vicariously through yeah, yeah. my music career. So he's not like you owe me this money. He was like, <laughs> you should make a CD. Yeah. I will like um. I'm happy to pay for these CDs, which is really nice. So yeah, so if lovely. you want to Google it, they are on Bandcamp. I and your dad will send them out. Yeah. Yeah. All um, right. Definitely. They might be re stickered to Hachiku even. Yeah. There is a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover on there. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> That's so sick. I mean, like, what would you say were the kind of key differences between, like, the music you were making then and the music you would go on to make, like, with this project? Mainly, probably my attitude towards what I thought I could achieve. Back then, mm. I was sort of not taking any responsibility i'd be like i can't write a song i can only do covers like having fewer ambitions like i'd mm. be more relying on like my father he played guitar on it or something and 
now I'm a bit more of a control freak where we're like, it needs to sound like this and it needs to be like this and that and yeah. that. Um, musically, I think I already had a set taste in all my musical inspirations. I think were quite similar mm. and the sounds that I wanted to like achieve. So I think probably if you were to listen to that and to what we do now, it's not like, it's a lot more folky. There's a lot more acoustic guitar. Back yeah. then I was like, electric guitar is not a thing for me. Mm. Um, and now I'm like, acoustic guitar is not a thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, all goes in, it all goes in phases, right? Did you have much of a chance to like tour much like uh like the last few years like obviously last year was a bit of a write-off but like outside of that have you had the chance to play much interstate sort of stuff yeah i mean probably to be honest more international than interstate yeah Um, yeah yeah we did actually i think the last sort of australian tour we did that was our own headline one was maybe three years ago we've done very many supports like we supported the breeders around australia yeah um jose gonzalez or however you might say his name i'm not sure (laughs) jen clower yeah of course yeah 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 around a little bit what were those bigger shows like because like it's one thing to you know like you said just go to a cafe and see your friends play and stuff like that it's another to be playing these massive rooms with bands like the breeders yeah i think it definitely throws you in the deep end of professionalism like you need to really like the tour manager when i when we first showed up he was like you can't really do anything wrong except don't you dare play any longer than the 30 minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like okay <laughs> so <laughs> like it kind of like they were super nice and we were like hanging out with them lots and nothing scary at all but yeah. you're like we need to make sure we're at soundcheck when we need to be at soundcheck and have all our backline sorted yeah, and yeah. not be in the way and i think if you maybe go from playing like your own shows and slowly going your own way to playing those bigger shows might take a lot longer to take that sort of thing very seriously. Yeah. Where I think we pretty early on with those shows were like, okay, we need to be very professional about yeah. this. Um, but then it's also just really cool to play in front of large audiences and like realize what an opportunity it is to play in front of 400 people mm. that might come see the opener yeah compared to playing in front of five people <laughs> at <Yeah>. your <laughs> tiny cafe show yeah just getting to talk to lots of people in the audience afterwards yeah selling merch we're always happy to be at the merch desk afterwards we sure. meet so many fun people and just being on the road <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> but hanging out with your bandmates a lot I, the thing in Australia is you can't. It's never really more than three or four shows mm. on a tour. But I mean, I've done a few overseas tours solo too. Like when I supported Courtney in America, mm. that was really fun. Just three weeks in a van, basically. Yeah, and it's like school camp. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. With the, like, especially going through the UK and and Europe and touring there and stuff like that, like, it must be a cool thing to kind of go back to these places that, you know, you used to call home and you used to spend so much time in. And now, not only do you have your own music, but you're bringing over people that, you know, are getting to experience stuff again for the first time as well. It's like this full circle kind of thing. Yeah, I mean... We are yet to take the band overseas. It unfortunately hasn't happened yet. Oh, right. Yeah, just yeah. logistically. Yeah, yeah. I've 
it is a little bit more lonely doing solo tours. Like I did the snail mail tour over there solo and then Courtney's tour and then Jen Clover's tour overseas as well. Right, the yeah. Good, with Jen's and Courtney's tour because I'm good friends with both of them, you are just hanging out with your friend and yeah. all their band members and touring crew. I'm quite close with two, so it doesn't bother me so much. The snail mail one was seriously me in a car for two weeks. Right. I was sleeping in the car because you get paid so little for being a support oh band. You God. get like 50 pounds a show for playing. It's sold out, 400 people. Um, That's so hectic. Like London show, <laughs> which is kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, if anyone is listening to this and wants to tour overseas, bring a lot of merch because <laughs> that's the thing that gets you through. But definitely fun going back to London and having all my old uni friends coming to a show and yeah, yeah. having my family in Germany come to like a small show near Cologne. Yeah, see, like lots of people over there, especially in Germany, they think I'm Australian because they don't read the part of the bio that yeah that I says you, yeah you're from there German, originally yeah. yeah and then when i start speaking german they're like what wow I thought we're seeing your german's a, really good yeah, yeah they're like i thought we came here to see an australian artist <laughs> and then suddenly you become a little bit more boring again <laughs> yeah. yeah it loses its novelty doesn't it yeah it's like not as exciting. <laughs> I was talking with Simon yesterday because when I opened for you, that was my first time playing without my band uh, in quite some time. And it's weird because it, it started out as my solo project, but as it's gone on, like, like we were saying, we kind of go through phases. And like back then, like when I was starting out the solo thing, like I probably would have not felt as comfortable playing with other people. But now that I've been playing with other people for so long, like it felt kind of weird to go back to playing solo. Like what's your di- like relationship between that dynamic of like, you know, ostensibly it's you and, you know, you can play all these songs solo as well, but you're also, you know, building this camaraderie with three other people as well. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing for us is it's definitely quite comp- compartmentalized. Like, mm. The last two years, I did do a lot of solo shows because there were a lot of overseas shows. And yeah. it's just, you just can't take four people over there and make it financially worthwhile if you're playing for 50 pounds in yeah. London. But um, yeah, it's definitely, um, especially now we've played the last few shows all with the band. And I did do a solo set in between just once. And you are waiting for like, because there's a little bit of backing track in some of the songs in my solo set as well. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just waiting for that like, ooh, now someone's going to hit the snare drum. Not the yeah. snare, they're like, it's going to be like really bam and everyone's going <laughs> to like kick off. And then you're just there like, pling, <laughs> my <laughs> tiny keyboard. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has more of an impact when there's a loud drum kit. But I think it's definitely a worthwhile thing to be able to do both because Mm. depending on the show that you're playing, some gigs you don't want to play solo if you're like, I did one tour supporting someone in Brisbane and it was at like, especially as a support when people are coming to see the main band basically. Yeah. As a solo artist, it can be a bit harsh if... They are just talking and talking and talking. Yeah, and you're of like, course. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just pretend I can hear myself, but I can't and whatever. Yeah. Um, that's where you really want to have your band there. But then there are some shows like Jose Gonzalez at the Canberra Theatre where you could hear a needle drop. Oh, of um, course, yeah. Where you're like, this is lovely, just me and my loop station yeah. doing the quiet thing. So it's, yeah, I don't really mind either. And I think 
the sets like I do play with the loop station a lot more doing it solo mm. it just becomes a slightly different thing but I do miss the others when they're not around yeah of course of yeah. course do you feel like your motivation to continue to make music, write and perform and, and, and yes, like be part of music in general is still like inherently the same as it was when you were first kind of aspiring to do it as a teenager? Or do you feel like it's kind of changed contextually as you've gotten older? Probably changed a little from as a teenager. I think, as I said earlier, when I was younger, I was a lot less ambitious. I didn't really see it as like a, a career always sounds so just corporate but um, (laughs) i didn't see it as a long-term financially sustainable thing yeah now i think i am a bit more not putting pressure on myself but i'd like to make it work as like a proper full-time not just my side project one day i'm gonna start doing something else again i think i'm quite committed to it motivation wise Mm. i think my dreams and goals and aspirations have probably stayed quite consistent since starting Hachiku as a project. Yeah. Like wanting to be able to get the band overseas and pay people in a way that maybe they could also mainly do the band, which, I mean, that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> but, of course, um, yeah. Doing it as a sustainable career would be a great thing. And just keep making music that I really... I'm proud of like people always say they listen back to their old things and they're like oh this is horrible I can't listen to it yeah I actually I think I'm someone who actually I like listening to our album that just came out and I feel kind of a bit proud and like yeah so oh, you I should. did that cool you did that um, damn right you did yeah and then I mean the Annie Petit one that no one will ever listen to hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit more like Ugh. Ugh. but then I'm like oh that it is what it is and it's a mm. uh, like moment in time of what I was doing then. Yeah. So, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up here. But before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests. Mm-hmm. And now it is your turn, Annika. I want to know about the best and the worst shows that you've ever played. Ooh, worst shows. I don't want to say it, but... <laughs> so, one actually, which is the reason why we haven't been to Sydney for three years. Oh, is God. very first Sydney headline show we played um, at... I'm not going to say where, but they were like, we were downstairs in the basement and they were closing the, I think it was still when there were lockout laws or whatever that oh, was. Oh, okay. So they were closing the bar upstairs and people were, couldn't come in anymore while we were just starting to play downstairs. So right. it was just like this really weird vibe of like, do they want us here even? Like oh, feeling man. a bit, oh, I'm never coming here again. Um, and I think maybe the other one was this other show that I just talked about, which was in Brisbane supporting Husky. Um, and that's where the audience was like, blah, 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 right. blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of, you feel a bit defeated maybe afterwards. Mm. Oh, no one listened to me and <laughs> no one cared. Yeah. But then you have the really good shows that make up for it. Maybe some of my favorites, I would say, were definitely some of the... So, I think different for solo or full band ones. So, solo ones, I think many of the Courtney Barnett shows that I did in the US. Mm -hmm. Can't even pick one favorite. Every show was so special in its own right. Yeah. Where they were all small theater shows. So, Courtney was playing solo. Um, So, people were prepared for a quiet night and everyone was just listening to your songs and what they had to say and 
Yeah, that was just a really lovely tour, and all every show of those. Do you need, do you need me to pick one, or is that fine? Just oh, no, those like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's good if you can't. Like, if there's uh, that many highlights, then yeah. you're doing something right. They were definitely. And then I think band-wise, I really always love our Melbourne headline shows. Mm-hmm. I think because lots of our friends come and like one in particular was our Marius Lullaby single launch in 2018 at the Curtain. Mm-hmm. And my mother and sister were visiting from oh, Germany so at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like standing in the third row and my mother was wearing sunglasses inside because she's really blind, but she forgot her real glasses, I think. <laughs> and she was just like dancing along and like all our friends were just heckling us. And yeah, it was, I think maybe only our second headline show ever really. Yeah, right. Like um, where we were selling tickets for people to come along. And we had just learned the song like a day before. And we were like, oh, this might be awful. And then we played it live and it was like, sometimes some on stage things just work out perfectly. Mm. And you're like, wow, how did we just do this? It sounded so bad in rehearsal yesterday. <laughs> and it just came together and everyone was there. My mother and sister were there and it was, yeah, that was probably one of my favorites. Oh, that's beautiful. I love to hear it. You love <laughs> to see it. The album is I'll Probably Be Asleep. It is out now and it will be out still by the time that you hear this. Annika, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are Barbets. You've just listened to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting.